Well, church family, we're in a series of messages called uh, Gifts Your Kids Can't Break. And I want you to, I want to introduce you to someone who has an unbreakable gift. I want you to watch this video and then we'll talk about him. He's been doing that for 35 years. Six days a week, 11 hours Monday through Friday, nine hours on Saturday. Gets Sunday to date his wife all day. And he's been in that six by eight foot car all those years. Uh, He works at the Wilshire Tower in Los Angeles. And uh, it's kind of a retro office tower from like the 30s. And it houses uh, internet web technology. And there's a, one of the web uh, employees uh, says that uh, this, this guy's 33 years old, which means that uh, Ruben Pardo has been doing his job two years before that guy was born. This 33-year-old says, sometimes I'm just going to drag myself to work. And then I see Reuben. This is what he says about Reuben. He's like, a, he's like a glass of fresh water every morning. I don't know how he does it. But every day for him just seems to be a bright opportunity for something. And no wonder the LA Times says that Reuben's happiness His joy with his job and his joy with life run floor to ceiling. Now, I want that. I don't know what was in that cup of coffee, but I want it. I do. I want it. I want want to carry that. I mean... It's not because he's making a lot of money. He, you know what? He gets to work. Um, he's got to take three buses, and then he's got to take a subway to get to work back and forth from home. So it ain't the cash. You know, there's something else that's going on, and I want that. I want to be able to, to, to bring into my six-by-eight-foot world Joy and peace and ah, that's what I want. I want that. Don't you? And I think I know what it is. The Apostle Paul talks about it. It's our word for today, our gift for today. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I've copied it on your outline, and it's up on the screen Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Workmanship. That's the unbreakable gift that I want us to talk about today. This wonderful gift of 
being God's workmanship. And, and it's so important that we understand this because right now, someone or something is shaping your life, applying some sort of influence. It is like we are wet clay and we're being shaped and formed. And so the question is, what are you going to look like when you're done? And these verses call us to a more qualified sculptor. These verses call us to a a more uh, qualified artisan. And so today I want us to consider, I want us to consider first of all when Paul says that we are God's workmanship, what does he mean by that? Let's define the term workmanship, God's workmanship. What is that? Secondly then I want us to see how does that happen? How does it happen? How do we become God's workmanship? And then I want us to see thirdly, what's the outcome? What's the result? What, how, and what's the result? That's where we're going today. Well, question number one, what does it mean when Paul says that we are God's workmanship? What does he mean by that? Well, let's just look at the word. The word workmanship, the New Testament comes to us by way of the Greek language. And that word workmanship is a word from which we get our word poem. We are God's poema. We are God's poem. God is crafting us and writing us. We're God's work of art. He's doing the sculpting, and we're the piece of stone. He's the artist, and we're the canvas. He's the poet, and we're the sonnet. And so to be God's workmanship means that God is actively at work shaping our lives, sculpting our lives, transforming us, into the kind of person that he wants us to be since he's the sculptor. Now, if he's a sculptor, that means that there are times that God's going to come at me with a pretty big chisel. And he's going to be chipping away. And we see that and flinch and say, oh no, not that. But he's the master sculptor. Meaning that whatever God chips off of my life, I didn't need in the first place. It means that he's crafting me into a masterpiece of beauty so that people will look at my life and not say, oh, what a wonderful statue. Oh, who's the sculptor? I want to get to know who he is, you see. To be God's workmanship really answers two of life's big sky questions. Two large questions. And the first is this. Who is God? Who is God? Well, these verses tell us. The word picture tells us. God is active. And he's involved. And he's nearby. He's closer than you think. He's paying attention. We worship a God who is paying attention to the details of our lives. He's not distant. He's not a, 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 a passive uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones was a physician who became a pastor and served at, at 
quite an influential church in London in the last century. And this is what he said. He said, God is not in the heavens waiting for us to approach him. Often we tend to think, well, if I go to God, he'll listen to me, answer me, bless me. But we often think that the real activity is on our part, as if God has this some great treasure house and storehouse, but the activity has to be on my part, and he's just waiting for me to do something. And, and then, and then uh, uh, when we take action, he responds. But the Bible doesn't talk and speak of God as a responder. He's an initiator. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God. And what about the last chapter of the Bible in Revelation? I'm making all things new. We serve and worship a God who is active and involved and is shaping us in ways we can't even see or maybe even appreciate. And we feel the chisel and it hurts, but it's for our good because he's the master craftsman at work. That's who he is. That's who he is in this church, and that's who he is in your life. God is the master craftsman. Second question that this word asks is a big question. First question is, who is God? The second is, who am I? Who am I? You know who you are? Huh? His workmanship. We're his. We belong to him. In fact, literally, this verse reads, his workmanship, we are. It starts with his. And and, and it's so important because God, God always tells us who we are before he tells us what he wants us to do. You know that, don't you? Actually, what God does is he tells us who he is. Then he tells us what he does. Then he tells us who we are. And then he tells us what he wants us to do. That's, I'm the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. You are mine. You are my possession. You are holy. Now I want you to keep my word. Who I am, what I do, who you are, what you do. That's why, like in the book of Ephesians and several of Paul's letters, we will have sections That begin with who you are. And that's Ephesians 1 through 3. Ephesians 1 through 3 is the here's who you are section. And the Ephesians 4 through 6 is is here's what I want you to do. And it's so important that we get this. Who we are precedes what we do. Now our world doesn't believe that. You know that, don't you? Our world doesn't believe that. Our world focuses first on what we do. I mean it. I'm thinking of something that great philosopher in life once said. Batman. <clears throat> you remember that part in Batman Begins where uh, he's up on the rooftop with his girlfriend, Rachel, and they, he just saved a little boy, he just saved them both. And then he's on the ledge, and he's getting ready to fly off into the, you know, the throat of danger to save the day. And, you know, Rachel uh, says, you could die. At least tell me your name. Remember what he says? He says, it's not who I am underneath. But what I do that defines me. And he flies off and kills Ra's al Ghul and then 
kisses Rachel at the end of the movie, and then the next movie, she gets blown to smithereens. I mean, it's, it's, it's bad. You can't win them all. It happens. Yeah. It's not who I am underneath, but what I do. Do you really believe that? What I do that defines me? I, I don't know about that. I mean, that, so if what I do, you know, see the, prob, see, the problem with that is that it's a half-truth. And, 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 and a half-truth taken as a whole truth becomes an untruth. And, and you know, we, so if what I do defines me, it almost implies, well, I can, I can do anything I want to do. Maybe anything. No, I can't. Do I look like NBA material? Huh? Do, do I look like? I mean, I'm not getting an amen on this one, am I? It's not going to happen, right? And, and see, at, uh, well, I mean, it's false hope on the one hand. Then on the other hand, it's crushing guilt, right? Because if what I do defines me, then can I ever get rid of this 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 stuff in my life called junk, you see? Man, that's, I don't believe that, no. No, 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 it does matter who you are. It does matter who you are. And these verses call us to see God in some great workshop, and these verses ask us to watch him forming and fashioning and bringing something into being which did not exist before. There's Genesis 1 language in here. Created. There's a new creation. Here's you are. We're his. We're his workmanship, we're told. That's the what. Second question is, well, how? How does that happen? Keep reading. We've been created, what does Paul say? In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. You see, it would have been a far better movie if Batman would have said, it's not who I am underneath, but what Christ did that defines me. Now, that would have, I'd gone to see that movie. That'll preach what Christ did because that's exactly what Paul is saying here he's saying it's what Christ has done you see we are a work of art we are but we have been defaced haven't we we've been defaced by sin and disobedience now if I go downtown to the park and I see a park bench and it's got graffiti written on it and It's been slashed. That's been defaced. But I think to myself, so what? It's a park bench. But if I go to the museum and I see Michelangelo's David, that towering marble masterpiece sculpted out of a a once discarded slab of stone. Yeah. I go and I see Da Vinci's Mona Lisa and, and, I, and those get defaced. That's bad. Someone once said, the greatness of the thing defaced determines the ugliness of the defacing. 
And you see, God created us as the pinnacle of creation. You know, we're his, Michelangelo's David and Da Vinci's Mona Lisa. We were created as the pinnacle of of all of creation to represent him. But we've been defaced because of sin and disobedience. And Christmas is the wonderful story of an artisan's painstaking task of restoring what had been defaced. God is this artisan. Do you understand what our artisan God did to restore the defacing of sin in our lives. Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says in 5, uh, 25 and 26, he says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or blemish or wrinkle that she might be holy. You realize, Jesus said, I bled for your splendor before God ever takes a chisel to my life. He took a Roman spike to his son's life. He who was radiant became defaced with my sin so that through his death, burial, and resurrection, we might radiate his glory How how does an artist look over that work with with painstaking, with sweat, with labor? He bled over it, gave his life to it. Years ago, an ancient preacher named Gregory once said that Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, but he bought back the world with his blood. He's weakened and wounded, but he heals every disease and infirmity. He was put to death on the cross, but by the cross he gives life. He dies, but makes alive. And by death, he destroys death. That's what Paul means when he says we are created in Christ Jesus. Someone once said that grace means you're in a different universe from where you had been stuck when you had absolutely no way to get there on your own. That's gospel. What? Oh, we're God's workmanship. How? Created in Christ Jesus. Well, what's the outcome? Well, look. Paul says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I mean, these verses come as a part of a paragraph, and the reason why I read the English Standard Version here is because chapter 2, verse 1, begins with this word, walk. We once walked in trespasses and sins. We once walked following the course of the world. This is what we were, but in 2.10, because of what Christ did, here's who we are. We are now walking In good works. It's not even as if we're doing the good works. It's like there's this room of good works. And we're here and we're walking in them. And we had not been in this room before. There's been a massive transformation going on in our lives. And and I can't help but think of uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. When 
I think about this massive transformation. A couple years ago, I just kind of got into the habit of taking the month of December and just reading a Christmas carol. It's not very long, but oh, it tells of a huge, here's what you once were, but here's what you now are about old Ebenezer Scrooge. Here's what he was. Dickens says, oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching old covetous sinner. Hardened, sharpest flint from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. Secret, self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. He carried his own low temperature always about him. He iced his office in the dog days. And he didn't thaw at one degree. At Christmas. <laughs> but what happened then? He had those three visitors, right? And oh my goodness, they changed his life. On Christmas morning, he just bellowed out, I don't know what to do! I don't know what to do! I'm as light as a feather! I'm as happy as an angel! I'm as merry as a schoolboy! I'm as giddy as a drunken man! A Merry Christmas to everyone! A Happy New Year to all the world! Hello! I want what he's drinking, too. (laughs) Yeah. Huge difference, right? Huge difference. And I love it. Dickens said this about Scrooge. For a man who had been out of practice for so many years, it was a splendid laugh. (laughs) Paul says, once we walked in bondage, once we walked in chaos... Once we walked in rebellion, but now we walk in the realm of good works. Now we walk according to a plan. There's not chaos now. Now there's a plan. There's nothing chaotic about Reuben's life. I mean, he's in the plan. A plan that God prepared beforehand. Already been prepared. And how do I know? How, how do I know that this, how do I know that, that, that my life has, that this transformation has taken place? Well, what did, what did Reuben do? Can you, can you say this in your heart? Ah, can you say that? There's a joy in my heart and a peace because God in Christ has set himself to refashioning a people who were once rebels. Once rebels, see, can you imagine the CIA going to Afghanistan and recruiting former Al-Qaeda terrorists and then training them to become trusted Secret Service agents? That would never happen. You're right, it never would happen. Who do you think we were? Rebels. Insurgents against the Almighty. But did we not sing earlier, I called, and you answered. And now he's transformed this, this church of insurgents 
into saints, holy ones. Not holy because of what we've done, Paul says. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And now, whereas we once walked in our trespasses, now our lives consist of a spirit-enabled walk in the realm of good works. And so, and so it's no surprise as I think back over what's been going on this year in the life of our church family. It's no sp- surprise that I hear of, of 70 or 80 of you going on cross-cultural missions trips. You've been walking in the good works. And God planned that for your life before he even said, let there be light. And, and that doesn't surprise me. The 900 of us from church were a part of fanning out all throughout the community and being salt and light at our weekend of service. And, 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 but God planned that before he even said, let there be light. And, and it doesn't surprise me that so many of you were involved with a salt and light Christmas gift giveaway here just this past week. And it doesn't surprise me about just the loving touch of, of Christmas cookies and being given to just show some love of Christ. And it doesn't surprise me that you responded when Lisa Sheltra, our local outreach director, told you about a sister in Christ named Lois who needs a new bathroom, and you responded. God, see, God planned all of that, and you just walked in it as obedient believers in Christ, you see. Oh, yeah. And Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. The point of walking in good works is not that the world would see us and say, I want to be like you, but that the world would see us and say, I want to worship your God. That's the point. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We just want our world to see our lives, and more specifically, to see the face of Jesus in our lives. That is a blessing of being God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen.